You are listening to a sermon from MCA Church. To learn more about our community, head online to mcachurch.ca. Thanks. I'm going to grab my notes here. So we have been preaching through uh, the book of Galatians uh, for the last little while. And uh, if you remember, uh, in the book of Galatians, the Apostle Paul is dealing with some serious baggage uh, that the church uh, had, uh, uh, had picked up. Uh, and so we, I'm just going to jump right in uh, to uh, not quite where Pastor Brendan left off. This was before uh, Easter. I- I'm actually skipping a tiny section, so you can read all of chapter 3 if you like. Uh, but I'm going to start in uh, Galatians chapter 3 in verse 23, and I'm going to read all the way to 4, uh, verse 7. So I invite you to hear the word of the Lord. Galatians 3, verse 23 and following. Before the coming of this faith, we were held in custody under the law, locked up until the faith that was to come would be revealed. So the law was our guardian until Christ came that we might be justified by faith. Now that this faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. So in Christ Jesus, we are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus." If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. What I am saying is that as long as an heir is under age, he is no different from a slave, although he owns the whole estate. The heir is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. So also, when we were under age, we were in slavery until the end. under the elemental spiritual forces of the world. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father, So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Jesus, again, uh, we know that you are the living word. And so we, we ask living word by your Holy Spirit, make these words come to life in us. There is something that you have for us this morning, and and I don't presume to know what that is for every individual, (laughs) but you know. So, Jesus, this morning we'll do our best to tune our ear to your spirit, to have soft hearts, and to give our yes to you. And so, Jesus, lead us, lead us, we pray. 
in your name. Amen. I want to begin asking you to imagine something. (laughs) Imagine with me that you have in your possession a special map. And it's a map that you inherited from a trusted relative who has passed away some time ago. Now, this isn't just any map. Uh, It's a map leading to a vast treasure that has long been spoken about but never before laid hold of. Of course, the map becomes your guide in life. You follow the map to a T because the journey is long and complicated, but it promises so much. The map shows you the roads to take and the paths to avoid. It shows you how to survive the journey through the desert and the traverse through the mountains. And every day, of course, you you look to the map. In, In many respects, the map becomes the source from which you live your life. It determines your every step. You're constantly turning to the map because, of course, you would be completely lost without it. But then the moment arrives, right? X marks the spot. All those years of hoping for the treasure have finally been realized in that moment. All of those days where you you carefully followed the map have finally paid off. You now lay hold of the promised treasure. And you know what? Your relatives of old, they were right about the treasure. It's a treasure that is more valuable than anyone could have ever imagined. And it's now all in your possession. I mean, what a moment that is. What a life-changing moment. But let me ask all of you treasure hunters a question. Having received the treasure... What now happens to the map? What good is the map now? What use does it have? To be sure, everything contained in the map is still true. It shows us the way. But now it is no longer needed. It's it's unnecessary. And it would be rather an odd turn of events, wouldn't it, if... You wake up the next morning having laid hold of the treasure and you turn back to the map for your next step. And church, this is more or less what was taking place with the Galatian church. The map was the Old Testament law. It was the Torah. The law described every step, every ritual, every requirement of people to follow in order to be marked off as God's people in the world. If you followed the map of the law, you had as much confidence as anyone possibly could have that you indeed were one of God's people, approved by him, accepted by him. But when Jesus died and rose again, it was like finding the X on the map of the Torah. The promised treasure 
had been revealed. It was being revealed. God's salvation had come to the earth. And the Galatian Christians had laid hold of this treasure. They had laid hold of salvation through their faith in Jesus. But there were some among them that were still insisting that everyone needed to follow the map. And it's precisely why Paul calls them foolish Galatians in verse 1 of chapter 3. He says they're foolish. Because that would be foolish. Having laid hold of the promise but insisting on following the map. But what exactly was the promised treasure that they had laid hold of? What was the promise they received by putting their faith in Christ? That's the question. Well, Paul tells us what it is in in chapter 3, verse 14. And I didn't read these verses this morning, but listen to what he says. They come a little bit before. He says, He, God, redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. The long-awaited promise. The treasure made possible through our faith in Christ is the Holy Spirit. It's God's personal abiding presence in us and among us. In a world he loves, that he wants to redeem and restore. God had promised long ago to bless all the people of the earth through, through Abraham's family, right? This is, this is the story that takes up most of the Old Testament. That someone would come through, through Abraham's lineage to bless all the peoples of the world, all the peoples. Not just a family, but every family. And that person, that seed, that blessing was Jesus. He made way for people to become God's children, all people, fully approved by him and fully accepted by him. See, God's approval and acceptance is not because of our actions. And for the Galatian Christians, it wasn't because of their actions. And it wasn't because they followed the map to a T, but because of what Jesus did on the cross. And through his sacrifice, we are all invited into a restored relationship with the Heavenly Father. But even at this point in the story, we haven't quite fully arrived at the promise yet, have we? The promise we receive comes through what Jesus did on the cross. Might I say it it comes after the cross. Because of the cross, but through the cross, after the cross. Because of Jesus' sacrifice, because he cleansed us of our sin, now the holy God comes to dwell in us through his Holy Spirit. God's personal presence comes to heal our hearts and animate our lives with the very breath of God. I mean, this is the treasure. This is the promise. 
God speaks the promise to the prophet Ezekiel. Maybe you remember this story. God says to the prophet Ezekiel in chapter 36 of that book in the Bible, in the Old Testament, God says, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all of your impurities and from all your idols, and I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and to be careful to keep all of my laws. Do you hear it? The promise is to bring forgiveness for sins and, and, and to fill us with God's Spirit as a way of, 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 of writing God's way into our hearts. In other words, God is going to get His way into people one way or another. And the way that He chooses is to give them His own personal presence, His Holy Spirit. He will be the one with the power to transform a life into something that resembles God's character. He will be the sign that God has accepted us, that we are His. And right after God speaks this promise to, to Ezekiel, he gives Ezekiel a vision. It's a picture of what receiving the promise looks like. God takes him out and shows him this vast valley, and it's full of bones. They're lifeless. They're dry and dead. And then in chapter 37, verse 5, this is what the Sovereign Lord says to these bones. Are you ready? I will make my breath enter you, and you will come to life. God's breath, His Spirit, enters the dead bones and they come to life. He puts His Spirit in them and they come to life. What a treasure! What a promise. And because of Jesus Christ, get this, that promise has been fulfilled. That promise has been fulfilled. <laughs> and it's being fulfilled every time a person says yes to Christ, even right now. Every time we put our faith in him, every time we trust Jesus, even right now, God fills us afresh to bring us to life, to awaken us or transform us, to heal us, to show us where we've stepped out of line with his goodness. He fills us with his spirit. The challenge is sometimes we're not paying attention. Sometimes we are filled with this sense that, that, that does God really do that? <laughs> Sometimes we've fallen asleep. And it's why Paul, in the book of Ephesians, he says, Wake up, O sleeper. Christ's light is shining on you. 
The reality is God has a, a life in mind for us that is animated by his very breath. And if we are to be the church in every sense of the word, we need to breathe him in and breathe him out. We need to participate with his Holy Spirit. See, it's interesting that there is a large segment of the universal church, and so I'm thinking uh, big church here. There's a large segment of the universal church of which we are a part that seems to have missed something really important when it comes to the Christian faith that we read about in the Scriptures. The cross of Jesus we get, but the power of His Spirit, sometimes we're not interested in it. Maybe because it scares us, or, 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 or maybe we know some people that we think, oh, well, is that what it looks like? I'm not sure I want any part of that. <laughs> we think there is God the Father and Jesus the Son, but that's often where our knowledge of who God is stops. But we can't miss this church. We can't miss it. The promise is what happened that first Easter Sunday when the Spirit breathed life back into Christ's dead body. And the promise is what happened that first Pentecost Sunday when the Spirit breathed life into the faith-filled church. And last Sunday I asked the question, what if we've missed something? What if we've missed something about the power and reality of the promise of God. And the one thing that we can't miss is this, church. Paul says it in chapter 4, verse 6, which we read. God has sent his, the Spirit of His Son into our hearts. And the Galatian church Christians, this little body of believers, they had received this promise in their life. They had received the Spirit. They had received the Spirit through their faith in Jesus, right? Not through the power of the map that they were following, not through the law, but through faith in Christ. And it's why earlier in chapter 3, Paul asked them this question. He says, I'd like to learn just one thing from you uh, people in, in, in Galatia. <laughs> Did you receive the Spirit by the work of the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? After beginning by means of the Spirit, are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? Isn't that often what we do? That at some point in our life, the Spirit of God awakens us to the reality of who Jesus is. We see the whole world in a new way. We see the gospel for the first time, and it begins to change our life. And it's the work of God in us. But somewhere along the way, we try and take the reins back. <laughs> we try and take control. We try and order our Christian life around a set of rules or, or even a set of doctrines. And now, don't get me wrong, it's not that those things don't matter. They do, but they are not the Spirit of God. They are not the power by which God's people live or are changed or are made whole. 
And for the Galatian church, having laid hold of the promised treasure, it just didn't make sense for them to turn back to a lifeless map for God's approval and God's acceptance. And now, the entire book of Galatians could be summarized in this sentence. When we put our faith in Jesus, the Spirit of Jesus does in us what the law simply cannot. The Spirit of Jesus doing what the law cannot. That's what the book of Galatians is all about. From chapter 1 all the way to the end in chapter 6, it's all about that. I had to check to make sure there were six chapters in Galatians. We're, we're all good. <laughs> and look, this is what Paul was getting at uh, in verses uh, 23 and 24 of the text that I read this morning. Uh, in, in, in verse 24, Paul calls the law a guardian, right? Did you catch that? He calls the law a guardian. And the Greek word here is paidagogos. Now, I don't speak Greek. Sometimes I pretend up here like I do. Uh, I don't. Uh, I, I read, uh, and this is what I learn. Um, the Greek word is paidagogos. 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 That's how we're going to say it this morning. Okay, we'll just all agree. Paidagogos. Why am I making a big deal about it? Because the word meant something very specific to the people of Paul's day. The paidagogos was a guardian of a child. Now, it was kind of like a nanny. Maybe some of you have, have had a nanny, but, but the paedagogos was a really strict nanny, okay? <laughs> it's kind of like Mary Poppins meets Professor Snape, uh, for those of you who are tracking with me there. A really mean and strict nanny. And the paedagogos was employed by a household in order to keep the children in tow, often using very strict means. It's just the way that it worked. They were solely interested in the child's behavior. They were not there to teach the child. They were there to make sure that the child walked in a straight line, <laughs> that they were seen and not heard. And Paul says the law was the paedagogos. It kept Israel in line. It told them how to behave. But it could not produce faith. Nor could it bring about salvation or God's approval. Because it was a guardian. It only served to set God's people on a path for something greater that was yet to come. Uh, in, in the months uh, leading up, this is, how, this is how the law works. In the months leading up to, to our, our wedding, Gina and I, we, we took ballroom dance lessons. Wouldn't you have loved to have seen that? Right? We, we had, like many couples do, we had, you, you know, um, Travis and Abby, maybe you're doing this right now. I didn't mean to call you out right now, but uh, they're getting ready for their, their wedding. Um, hey, we, were, we wanted to wow our guests with the first dance, with, with, with our moves. Uh, and, you know, I thought I was a really good uh, dancer, but the one thing that taking ballroom dancing taught me was I am a terrible dancer. Uh, I know I've said from here that I've got moves, but it's, it's, it dep depends what you define by moves. And sometimes when you're learning to dance, they have all these stickers on the floor. Have, have you seen this kind of thing, right? Uh, it tells you where to put your feet. 
like step one here and step two here and so on and so forth, and, and you follow along. Uh, it's, it's, it's like a map for your feet. <laughs> but if you were to watch me to try and follow the steps, all you would see is how many steps I missed. All you would see is how far off I am. And that's what the law did too. It was a reminder of how many missteps that we make in relation to God's perfection. And that's why Paul says in verse 23 that we are held in custody under the law and that we are locked up in it. It shows our missteps. And the point is, following the Torah or, or any set of religious laws, because we make them up ourselves, following up any set of religious laws cannot produce faith in a person. It doesn't gain God's acceptance or approval. To live like that is like following a map and never coming to a treasure. Or even worse, having coming to the treasure and leaving it behind only to live by the map again. But that's what we do. We put our faith in Christ. We've received the Spirit. We sometimes turn back to the, the map in, in one way, shape, or form. I remember having a conversation with a man, and this was a, a long time ago, and he was having trouble with something, uh, some of the things that I said in a sermon, which is totally fine, by the way. I, I invite the conversation. And I was preaching about our human tendency to replace the grace of Jesus with a set of religious rules, right? We, we prefer religion to the grace of Jesus sometimes. And his specific issue was my suggestion that Jesus never used the vocabulary of obligation. Jesus doesn't use the word obligation. This man was adamant that as a Christian, we are under obligation to do certain things. And I understand the heart behind his objection. Jesus calls us to obedience. Obedience out of love. It's not the same thing as obligation. And so we met in my office to talk this through. And, and I asked him something that I have never asked him before. And I will never ask anyone again, okay? So, uh, and I'm like, should I share this story? <laughs> of course. I asked him a question that I had never asked before and I'll never ask again. I said, how much money do you give to the church? There was a long pause. Now, I know no one is ever going to want to meet with me again after this, uh, <laughs> this illustration. And did I mention that I have only ever done this once and I will never do it again? <laughs> I let him off the hook a little bit, and I said, no, I don't mean how much. I mean, what percentage? And he breathed a sigh of relief, and he said, well, I give 10%. And so I said, so you fulfilled your obligation to God then? And he nodded. But, I continued, <laughs> you could probably give more than that, couldn't you? This was a wealthy man. So why would you stop at 10%? I mean, doesn't Jesus say to the rich young ruler to give everything that he has? Why would you just give 10% when Jesus asks for it all? 
I mean, how do you know when you've actually given enough to fulfill God's expectation of you? How do you really know that 10% is enough to fill your obligation to God? And it's interesting that this friend left my office that day with a degree of sadness, much like the rich young ruler did in Matthew chapter 19. And the point is this. There's a difference between having to and getting to. The religious law says you have to. You have to give a certain amount, or you have to go to church every Sunday, or you have to read your Bible every day in order to live up to God's standard. But Jesus comes to dismantle all of that, and he says, no. It is union with me, Jesus says, through my Holy Spirit that matters, which means you don't have to, but you get to. You get to give and to go and to read because they're all an invitation to know Jesus in a deeper way. Oh, and there's a vast difference between have to and get to. And the point of all of this is to say that the Spirit of God does in us what the law cannot. It simply can't. It was never meant to. That was never part of God's plan. The law, or the Spirit does in us what, what the law never could. And there are three things in the passage, and I'm going to work through these real fast. Three things. Well, not real fast, somewhat fast. First, what does the Spirit do that the law cannot? First, we're told that God makes us His children. The law doesn't do that. God does. It's His promise. Verse 26 the text says, so in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you were baptized into Christ. Uh, all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. Formerly, the children of God were only those who were in possession of the map, those who followed the law. But now that Christ has come, now that the promised spirit has been received, we can all be called children of God. And can I get an Amen. Yeah, yeah, I'm going to do that more often. Yeah, you guys are beautiful. Okay. Second, the second thing, the Spirit, uh, and we've spoken a lot about that. A lot of what comes before in Galatians is all about that. Second, the Spirit, what does the Spirit do? The Spirit makes us equals. Verse 28. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Ah, <laughs> Dave and Kendall, I heard those voices there. Bless you. Throughout history, there have been three classes of relationships that have kept the world divided. And they are ethnicity or, or race, class, and sex. Three, th three relationships that have kept the world divided. But now, because of what Jesus did on the cross, the Holy Spirit invites and empowers us to live free from these divisions. The gospel is the message that God has removed the dividing wall of hostility that stands between people. 
And when gospel people are filled with the promised Holy Spirit, there are no divisions, for all are one person in Christ Jesus. That's how you could translate that last clause of the verse. For all are one person in Christ Jesus. You know, I probably need a whole sermon to unpack this one verse, (laughs) because I know you have a hundred questions going on in your mind. I want to say a few things about it. First, Paul here isn't saying that we're all the same. Okay? He isn't uh, erasing the categories that are listed here. They're not erased. People still have a unique ethnicity, and it's unique. And we live in different social standings, and they're different. And there is such a thing as male and female, right? But the point is, the significance we attach to these categories has no bearing on a person's life with God. And it should have no bearing on the way the people of the church order their lives and their worship. There is no division between black or white, poor or wealthy, woman or man. Let me give an example of what it might get me into a little bit of trouble. Um, uh, And I say that not to poke fun. I say that in all honesty. And and if you have uh, issues with what I'm about to say, Let's go for that coffee. I would love that. (laughs) For the Galatians, Paul is saying, when it comes to being a full participant in the life and ministry of the church, the Galatians didn't need to become Jews. Right? We got that one. Check. Paul was saying that when it comes to being a full participant in the life and ministry of the church, those of poor status don't have to improve their station in order to participate fully in the life and ministry of the church. We get that one, right? Check. Paul was saying when it comes to being a full participant in the life and ministry of the church, you can be either a man or a woman. A full participant in the life and ministry of the church can be a man or a woman. Sometimes the church hasn't checked that box. Sometimes the church has reserved certain roles in the church exclusively for men. And Paul has something to say about that here, something strong. Now, of course, Paul does speak about some exceptions to this in his letter to Timothy and in 1 Corinthians. But we need to understand that there he is addressing something very specific, problems that have arisen in the Ephesian and the Corinthian churches. And there needed to be some correction. And so he speaks that correction. But the fact remains... The promised Holy Spirit gifts women and men alike for leadership in the church. In fact, he gifts people as he chooses. It's what the Spirit does. The Spirit makes us equal. And third, the Spirit makes us heirs. And this is the last point. Chapter 4, verse 7, it offers something of a summary. I know you want me to go back and keep talking about the other one, but we're going to move forward. (laughs) Because there's more to say there. There's a lot more to say there. Verse 4, 7 offers a summary of how the Spirit makes us heirs. It says, so you 
are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. An heir here isn't simply someone who is promised an inheritance in the future. That's often how we think about being an heir. Paul isn't saying that we are heirs, meaning that one day we will go to be to in heaven with God when we die. That's not what he means by this. An heir here is someone who is in possession of the promise already. You may have noticed that the language here is all about sons, right? And based on, on, on what I have just said, maybe some of you daughters here are feeling a little left out because in chapter 4, the beginning of chapter 4, Paul's language is all about sons and sonship. And you might be feeling a little left out. Well, the language is intentional. We are being told, like Paul here, he isn't, he isn't being sexist. We're being told something specific. He's making a point. In his day, being adopted as a son, adopted into sonship, it meant that a person was giving, given the keys to their father's kingdom. The firstborn son especially. Even while the father was living, when, when the son had come of age, sonship meant being in possession of the father's estate, and it meant representing the father himself in public. Do you remember the story of the two lost sons in Luke chapter 15? We sometimes call it the story of the prodigal son. But what does the father say to the grumbling older son when he looks at the young one who gets this party thrown for him? He's, the, the older son is upset and says, God, you've, your father, you've never thrown a party for me. I've been a dutiful person. I've done everything right. And what does the father say to the older son? Everything I have has always been yours. Why? Because he was the older son. It was his sonship. It was his right. And we are being told here that we have been adopted into sonship. And the word is, is important because it means that whether we're a woman or a man, we have been given access to the riches of heaven now because of Christ. All that Jesus, the firstborn son, possesses, all that he possesses, his righteousness, his wisdom, his character, his authority, the love of his father, all of that, all that he has, has been given to us because we are co-heirs with Christ. This is the gift of the Spirit. And so, hear the word afresh in verse 6. Because you are his sons, God sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, the Spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. All of the Godhead is here. Jesus the Son, the Spirit, and the Father that they both call Abba. Abba is a term of endearment, meaning like daddy. What a beautiful picture of God. Jesus holding the Spirit's hand and then both holding the hands of the Heavenly Father whom they call Abba. It's this relationship of love that is God. And this morning... The Spirit of God is inviting you into that very circle, that very relationship. So, church, will you take your place in this relationship of love? Put your faith in Christ 
receive the power of His Holy Spirit and know God as your Abba. X marks the spot. Let's pray. Jesus, you have done so much for us. And so I pray again what I prayed at the very beginning. Living Word, make these words alive in us. Maybe there are some among us who, who need to know the love of a kind Heavenly Father. Spirit, love them this morning. And, and Lord, maybe there are some here that need to, to feel encouraged with hope that you see them, that you hear them. Spirit, even in this moment, see them, hear them. God, maybe there are some that just need to be challenged, <laughs> awakened, shaken. Spirit, awaken, shake. For the glory of God and for the wholeness of all of us. And to this end we pray, Jesus. Amen.